welcome back to the Queen Sessions podcast. Elisa, that's your cue. Yes, I'm sorry. I was still inviting people. Okay, between sessions, two brown chicks changing the face of therapy. Both sides of the couch. On both sides of the couch. Yes. Yeah, so today we are, as you can tell, we are on YouTube instead of Facebook Live because in Houston, we have decided to have snow for the second time this season. <laughs> and I know Elisa and Justin are from up north, and so y'all are like, why? Yes, I, I far enough, obviously. This, I gotta pack up. <laughs> this, like, this is not okay. <laughs> I don't know what's going on in the world, but yeah, Houston is not supposed to have snow, especially twice in one season. Um, and so, of course, because we're in Houston, we are shut down. Mm. So that means no driving, no going to the office, no. Um, a lot of people have been off the last couple of days. So because of that, we are doing um, at home between sessions. So first time for everything. We'll see yes. So today we have Justin Smith. Justin. Justin Smith training. <laughs> hey. <laughs> Um, oh, wait, before we do that, because me and Elisa keep forgetting, I'm Ebony Harris, um, relationship therapist in Houston, Texas, host of Room for Relations, Sex and Relationship Podcast, co-founder of Melanin and Mental Health, and co-host of Between Sessions. Go, Elisa. <laughs> and I did all of that, but I'm Elisa Bokeen. I am a licensed marriage and family therapist, sexuality expert in private practice, and also the co-founder of Melanin and Mental Health and co-host of Between Sessions. I'm one of the two brown chicks trying to change <laughs> the face of therapy. <laughs> and Melanin and Mental Health is Elisa. I always wear her <laughs> Oh, I was like, no, you're melanin and mental health too. <laughs> melanin and mental health. So we are an organization that is committed to raising mental health awareness in Black and Latinx communities. We do this with our website, our social media platforms, local events. Um, we are just out there spreading the word that therapy and mental health is for us too. Sorry, I tried to go watch the video, and apparently <laughs> my, my sound was on. Okay. Oh, so there is. Oh, there's a live chat, but you have to have a channel. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay, so today we have Justin Smith, um, one of our two brand ambassadors for Melanin and Mental Health, but he is here in a different capacity he is going to talk with us about therapy in the LGBTQI community. So, Justin, can you tell us a little bit about yourself before we get started? Yes, like she, like she said, I'm Justin Smith. I am a licensed professional counselor. Woo woo. Yeah. <laughs> I know, fully licensed, Lord. Long <laughs> road to get there. Um, so, I'm an LPC here in Houston, Texas. I work in private practice where I specialize in serving. Okay. QI community. Um, I'm currently at Amy Wine Counseling Center. I'm um, in practice currently right now. Um, and then I also started Justin's been training as an avenue of um, helping to provide continuing education um, on the LGBT population for mental health professionals. Um, and then also getting connected with like different different organizations like Melanin Mental Health to spread mental health awareness in the community. Awesome. Yes. 
So in our in our attempt to continue on the theme of why don't blank go to therapy, we thought Justin would be the perfect pick to talk about why the LGBTQ I wait, so Justin, you just say LGBT. Can we just say that or do you have to add the QI? I LGBT LGBTQ, LGBT. Um, I think everyone says as many letters or as few letters. Um, I think the general consensus of LGBT kind of gets the job done. Okay. Uh, so it kind of goes from there. Okay. Because I, I know I've heard, you know, just it, even through doing my other podcast, we talked about it and it's like LGBTQIA, and, you know, so. Um, yeah. I thought people say queer just kind of encompass everybody, just kind of like oh, okay. the whole spectrum. Okay. Yeah. So you're here to talk about that community and to discuss um, the struggles that they might have when looking for a therapist, especially brown people in that community uh-huh. um, and how mental health, um, the lack of resources and things like that may affect those communities. So um, before we get started, I don't know, Elisa, do we have anything else that we needed to kind of talk about before we get into the topic? Um, as far as what we're doing with melanin and mental health, or do we want to wait until the end? Do we want to? No, you can talk about it now and then. So we, uh, what we've got coming up this month, so we're going to be in Dallas. Uh, yes, we are on the road to meet all of those dope therapists in Dallas. We want to find out what Dallas is doing to change the face of mental health. Um, so we're still securing a location for one of our pop-up happy hours, but we'll be announcing that soon. So Dallas, if you're out there, it's the 26th, correct? That We're going to be up there on Friday, the 26th, 6 to 9 p.m. We'll let you know what, where we're going to be. Yeah, but come out and say hi if you're a dope therapist or if you just think therapy is dope and and or both and or both. (laughs) (laughs) We want to meet you. Yep, yep, yep. And um, check out the website. Of course, this is where we host our podcast as well as other information just surrounding mental health and brown communities. Um, That's also where our directory is. And um, if you're having any issues with the directory as far as signing up or finding a therapist, send us an email at info at melaninmentalhealth.com and we'll try to make sure to help you find somebody that can help you along your journey. Okay. That's also where you can find, we get questions all the time. Where did you get this shirt? So you get the dope <laughs> therapist. The therapy is dope and long because it's cold outside. And then melanin and mental health. And your hat? You're wearing your hat? Yes. We have our hats. We have mugs. Everything. Yes. Twice and twice and this is how we need to get everything into the community to make it less of a stigma, to make it more normalized. When people see you wearing shirts and hats and things like that, they're going to ask, like, wait, what does that mean? Where did you get that from? It's always, anytime we walk around in this get garb <laughs> in our gear, people are always like, wait, especially the self-care is sexy. People love that shirt for some reason. So. You might get questions depending on what side of town you are with a dope therapist. That's true. <laughs> That's true. I have to say, wait. Wait, what? No. <laughs> therapist? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> We always do this. Some of us are dope therapists as far as helping people with substance abuse. So there you go. It works. It works either way. It works. Okay, so we are going to get into our topic. Um, We're going to start. This is Justin. I know you've seen the show, but we're going to just say it for everybody else. More of a conversation. Yes, we have questions. Yes, we have things we want to ask. We're just trying to have a conversation to normalize these topics and to normalize the way that we talk about mental health. And so, we're going to start with the bigger question and kind of tear it down. But um, we're going to ask you, Justin, what is the, you feel like the biggest struggle for 
the LGBT community in finding mental health or getting help as far as mental health? Well, I would say it's kind of like everything that you both have already talked about in previous sessions. Um, I know you mentioned a lot about um, just pray away or go talk to the pastor. Um, so that the church is so important to our community. Uh, but so then to add that additional identity of a queer identity that you are gay, it's kind of like, okay, you're depressed. You should go talk to the pastor. Mm-hmm. Are you gay and depressed? Oh, you mm-hmm. really want to talk to the pastor now. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so I think it's kind of like everything you, you all of you have talked about plus more. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of taking that step further but of adding more of a struggle. Justin, can you explain to people, because I know sometimes um, people may still not understand when people use the term queer. There was a time where it it wasn't used in this way um, to embrace. Can you explain to people a little bit about the term? So queer has a negative connotation in the past and kind of being degrading and being a negative term. Um, But then kind of more in the present present time, it kind of all encompasses kind of everybody. Because as you know, as research continues, as more work is done, and we have more identities being um, being recognized and acknowledged, um, we keep adding more and more. Um, and so I know I've even, re- even read in, in research, like in academia, um, using the term queer just to kind of encompass it all um, and not being a negative term. Um, but that takes also getting the word out because you may have a professor who is older, who, you know, that was their time of you know, 20, 30 years ago, where that was a negative term. And so then having kind of educated a little bit about, okay, times have changed, the word is kind of different now and used in a different sense. Um, so kind of just keep, you know, keeping the word, keep spreading that word. That's kind of what we do here is spreading that awareness of things are changing and changing the conversation. So how do you think, um, how do you think, there's a because I know you said we already kind of talked about some of the struggles that you know you may have, but what is the difference, I guess, as far as like brown people trying to find therapists and then brown queer people trying to find therapists? Like, what how does that struggle differ? So, I think it is because uh, I actually did some uh, polling yesterday on Facebook of like what people have experienced, and a lot of times people will say that maybe the counselor is competent with their culture, but they're not competent with their identity. Mm identity mm-hmm. so it's it's kind of adding that that extra level of struggle to finding a therapist who is confident in both and that you feel is safe to talk about that topic with it um, right. so like i said it's kind of like the the struggle already as people of color plus the identity of being a queer identity um and trying to find a therapist who is affirming but also competent um with both of the intersection of both your identities right and I, I'm always thinking about in you know brown communities is, is the belief that we struggle even more with those communities and acceptance of those communities. And while I I know it to be true within the brown community, I'm curious if it's more true than in non-brown communities because I feel like in a lot of communities it's a struggle. Like you know white communities, brown communities, whatever the case may be, people struggle with you're having those problems. I mean you're you're having issues as far as being a brown person and then on top of that they i know a lot of times it's just like oh you're gonna have more struggle right and i wonder if it if, if it does look are we harder on um queer communities as brown people or is it just it just feels differently because we're scared because of course there's that extra on top of being brown marginalized within uh-huh. marginalized community right. yeah um uh, 
So are you asking, like, is it? That's not really a question. I was just saying. <laughs> okay. Because I always think about that because, you know, we hear all the time how, like, oh, if you're gay and you're black, then it's, it's a bigger issue and it's a problem. And, you know, black people don't accept gay people. But I feel like that's in all communities. Every community struggles. You know, there are people that struggle within that community. There are people that accept it and there are people that don't. And probably because we are the minority, it looks more prevalent than it may look as far as in a white community where they're obviously the majority. And so that means that more people accept it because they have more people overall, you know. And so I'm always curious if, and that's like I said, it's not really a question. It's just kind of a statement of like thought. It's just what I've thought about. Um, are we really harder on queer communities than other people? I mean, and maybe we are. I, I just... I've only been raised around brown people, so I don't really know, the, the, you know, <laughs> how it looks in other communities. <laughs> well, I think there is something, though, to be said in that, you know, for example, if you are, um, you know, a, if you're a trans person, for example, you have a a greater chance of being a victim of a violent crime. Right for being, you know, black or brown. You know, they're at this higher risk sure. of being the victims of of some sort of violence. Violence, yes. Right. Right. And that's true, that's true. Obviously we um a big thing with the Black Lives Matter is talking about trans women that were being killed at an extremely high rate. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. that wasn't necessarily being addressed. So Right, right. It's true, that is true. So, so I think it I'm sorry. I was going to say, I think it really kind of goes back to whose lives matter and whose val- what value is placed on whose lives. And I think the more and more you are marginalized, you're further and further away from that, you know, quote unquote, ideal, you know, life. Yeah. Right. You, you you are this person that looks this way and has these beliefs and practices this faith. The further and further and further you get away from that, the more and more you're going to be coming up against these challenges of of just having basic rights and, you know, people treating you with respect. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely agree with that, that it's, it's kind of that adding on top of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it makes it harder and harder, which is unfortunate. It shouldn't be that way. So when it comes to mental health, how does, how much does acceptance, I guess, play a role? Um, because, again, when we're talking about finding therapists that are competent, um, and like you said, you find a therapist that's culturally like, okay, you know, you get me in that aspect, but then when I start talking about um sexuality, um, lifestyle, things like that, then there's a problem or, or it's cl- like, it's clear. So how, how, do, how should people vet, I guess, to find out about that? Um, I would say that no, going into it, knowing that maybe the first counselor you, you won't be the perfect match. Mm-hmm. I know that you both talked about how, you know, as people of color, we already are like questioning therapy and counseling and going to see someone. And so when we go to see someone, we kind of have really high expectations. That we're gonna have this magical like bond connection, <laughs> in right. That right. Um, and I think that can be a little unrealistic because sometimes you know you just don't have a connection. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, every account two counselors can have the same exact training, the same education, right. but you know, it's all about the person and what they bring into that room. Mm-hmm. Um, when you're going in there, I think knowing okay. You know, you may feel comfortable talking about your one identity, but maybe not the other identity. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think kind of being aware of, okay, it may take a couple people for me to feel that connection. Just kind of being aware of that. Right. And, and that going into it, um, I think like we said before, get, being able to ask the right questions even maybe before you even go in. Um, there, you know, you don't want to go into therapy and get more trauma or be damaged right. based yeah. on somebody that you're supposed to trust. So asking some of those questions that may be uncomfortable, like I am, I've had clients that when I do my intake session, they'll say, we're queer couple. Are you okay with that? You know, like, yeah, very direct. Okay. While some therapists um, may say yes, or maybe not so much, you know, may not. Mm-hmm. At least you've already put it out there so they know what to expect. And hopefully they, they need to do as far as like, let me get resources, let me learn more so that I can serve these people in the way that I should. Um, you know, that, that you know, as a, as a therapist who specializes in sexuality, you know, I think that there's something to be said for that being the additional layer also is that some therapists are limited in how much they educate themselves on issues around sexuality and how that plays a role within our mental health. Mm-hmm. So I think that being the other, you know, um, thing to consider. And I love what you said, Justin, was just kind of being able to recognize what the connection feels like when you're with that person. And then, Ebony, like you're saying, is just the questions that you ask, you know, being able to ask that. And I think as therapists, you know, because um, I know we have therapists that listen also, is what are we doing to let our communities know that, yes, we are an ally. Yes, we are LGBTQI friendly. You know, yes, we do have um, the education and the training to be able to work competently mm-hmm. Um I think that's the other aspect of, of it also is educating ourselves, yeah. you know, to what are some of the, the the, the unique challenges um, to our LGBTQI brothers and sisters. Right. So right. That I think, or as far as therapists and then the community, I think as therapists doing those little things, um, like on your website, if you have, um, if you have representation of the queer community, you know, will someone from that community see themselves on your website? I, mm-hmm. I'll never forget, Elisa, like when I first met you all, I went to your website and I was like, oh, she can. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, she can. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So I think it's so, so, so important, even if it's just one picture, I think, you know, we might have 10 pictures. If it's one or two, that we're like, okay, that person might see themselves in that image on your website. That kind of gives them the green light. Uh, because as a gay black man myself, I think I'm always hyper aware of when I see mm-hmm. things around me that are affirming. Even right. if it's black. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> you know, it doesn't have to be this ginormous um, rainbow flag. That'd be nice. But that huge thing in your office, it could be um, Outsmart Magazine, Houston's LGBT magazine mm-hmm. that you have in your waiting room that they may, they may notice to say, oh, okay, to, to just be aware of something that I would, uh, would align with. Mm-hmm. Right. Little steps can make a huge impact of that person feeling welcome and safe in your environment. Justin, I I have a quick question for you, or at least hoping maybe you could speak a little bit to it, because part of the feedback that I've heard sometimes and part of the frustration that I've heard be voiced is when when the client feels that they need to educate the therapist 
on some of what they might be dealing with. And I'm and and I'm wondering if you could speak a little bit to that um, about it being one of the barriers. Um, I think that that happens a lot. I think through my PhD, I was able to be involved with like practicum and seeing like the early on stages of counselors um, and seeing how sometimes they, did, they just didn't know anything at all. And so I think it kind of goes case by case because some clients, they really enjoy being able to educate their counselor on mm. their community. And that, that might be something that, that kind of bonds them, that they have it like, well, okay, let me, let me, you educated me on coping skills and all these different things. Let me educate you a little bit more about my identity mm. and my community. Whereas some people that can be frustrating and that can turn sure. and be like, okay, I don't want to have to go, go through educating on all this mm-hmm. stuff. You know, it's time to get to my emotional struggle. Right. And so it kind of goes case by case. And then I know so, as counselors, you know, we can't know everything. Right. Uh, you're going to have instances where, you know, you got to solve that pride pill sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Because sometimes as counselors, you kind of get that like, okay, I'm like the expert. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and you don't want to ask those questions. But being honest and being um, genuine helps so much with the connection anyway. So right. that, questions uh, when you don't know sometimes. But I think, I, I just going back to, I think it's case by case. Some mm-hmm. clients, it will turn them off completely. And some clients, it'll be like a kind of bonding thing for them to be able to educate you about their community. Yeah. Well, and I think that each client, you're you're essentially learning that client and their history. And I, and, and, and I think the challenge sometimes for therapists is to remember, you know, they're, the client is not i have to learn they're the experts Mm -hmm. and then also us doing our due diligence to to not have the clients there to educate us right because we're there for them that's not to say we're not influenced and understand and we do our due diligence but i don't know if that makes sense but no yeah there has to be some type of like it's okay the client is the expert on their life right and so then we're talking to them to learn more about their life we're not necessarily talking to them to learn about the community as a whole. So if I go to therapy and they start asking me, well, what does this mean when black people do mm-hmm. this, black people mm-hmm. do that, when women do, you know, that's not why I'm here. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you my experience. Right. Like you, you are my time. <laughs> are you paying me for this? Am I yes. <laughs> let me, let, I'm going to send you my bill. You know? right. Right. And so I think there's a little bit of like, you should, like you said, do your due diligence of learning and, and researching and, and learning for yourself. But also, yes, if, if there is a question, if like if I use a phrase um, that you don't understand, like don't just keep going, like ask me what that phrase means. And I think that's what it is. Like, yes, don't take 30 minutes out of my session to learn about the LGBT community, but also don't sit there ignorant if right. you know that you don't know what I'm talking about, because right. that could be something that really impacts me. Absolutely. So, um, yeah, so it's kind of like having that. Yeah. Also, another aspect is that that um, something I've heard a lot is that you know in the in the people of color communities, a lot of times when they go to uh, professionals, they kind of go with that go with that notion of like this is the expert, these mm-hmm. are the, you are the trained person. Right. Um, tell me, <laughs> like, right. like, tell me, it's normal, like what you know. And so I think it takes a, a little um, building that therapeutic relationship. Um, and then kind of going over your stance and kind of what your orientation is in therapy as well. Um, you know, we kind of go from the point of they're the expert of their life, of their inner world, because, you know, you haven't lived your life. <laughs> right. 
And so, but that can be another um, layer of it, of kind of that, okay, them coming into it thinking that you are the expert, you're going to, as a counselor, you're going to provide them all, all this expertise of answers. Um, and so that kind of takes more education uh, as we spread awareness about the counseling process, what that looks like in that room. Um, yeah. 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 So I don't know if you know the answer to this, but I was, I, we, and I don't even know if we talked about this a lot in the first couple episodes, but when it comes to microaggressions, so microaggressions are those small things that might happen to communities, minority communities um, that aren't overt racism or overt, you know, aggression. It's like small things that just make you uncomfortable and make you feel like, oh, why did they say that? Or why did they ask me that? Like when, you know, as a black woman, if I change my hair and they'd be like, I didn't know you, you know, cut, you grew your hair, your, your hair was that long or something like that after I just had a bob yesterday. Like, you know, it's like small things like yeah. Like, is that really the question? Or, you know, um, I'm trying to think of some other examples. I have, I have one. <laughs> I, I remember I was, um, I'd gone to a conference. It, I used to do photography. And so I was at this photography conference. You know, I'm dressed semi-professional, not like in a suit, but, you know, clearly office professional, right? And I'm in the elevator for my hotel and... I'm a Latina. So the lady that's in the in the elevator with me is a Caucasian woman. And she looks at me. She's like, so what time do you all come by to clean the rooms? <laughs> that's a real one. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, I'm, I don't work here. I'm right. here for a conference. You know, so felt a little more macro than micro. <laughs> Like a real life. Uh, yeah, but she was like really surprised that I wasn't there to to clean the room. Right. <laughs> so I'm curious, um, and that might be something we should talk about in the future, just microaggressions in general in therapy, because I've heard some horror stories. But I'm curious if, um, Justin, if you can think of any, or even if you can think of any that therapists may not be aware. You, mm-hmm. you can't say this to somebody in the queer community. Um, without them having some type of an impact, a negative impact, without it having a negative impact on them. Yeah. Um, so say, um, even from what I asked yesterday, people would say that they struggle with sometimes a therapist, like in a way, sneaking in religion in the church into mm-hmm. their sessions. Wow. That's not something that they have brought up, something that they want to work on, something that's relevant to right. what they're going through right now. Right. Um, so that can be considered a microaggression. Um, in the session, which can be damaging to your client and especially uh, especially your therapeutic relationship. Yeah. Right. Have a connection you're trying to have with this person to help them through X, Y, Z. Um, so that can be an example of a microaggression um, just like in the counseling room. Okay. You know, one that I've heard also is, um, I think part of it is also trying to know what, terms do we use, being aware and all that. But I've, I've heard when clearly a same-sex couple comes in and they're married and still using the terms, well, your partner, no, this is my husband or this is my wife, still having the comfort of being able to use the proper you know, terms or, or rather the, the terms that represent their relationship for what it is. Right, right. And I would even think, um, what is it, pronouns? Like that might be a big one. Um, mm-hmm. I, I definitely, you know, have had that experience even as a therapist. And I'm, I'll be honest, where I don't want to give, well, basically, 
people in their life hadn't accepted you know that they were transitioning and so it would be like when they're around I have to say this but when I'm with a client I have to say this you know things like that and so that could be offensive if they're telling you like this is my pronoun right and choosing to say like no I'm just gonna call you you know whatever I'm comfortable with mm-hmm. uh, I'm sure that can be a, a stressful and a microaggression as well um, and I was thinking even the, the language that we use around like choice of mm-hmm. like black like, or, um, or saying lifestyle, like, no, it's not a lifestyle. <laughs> yeah. Right. Because that, like, that can be a neg- have a negative kind of vibe around it, too. Um, like that. that can show sometimes of not true acceptance and not being really affirming. Of right. that. Um, so that can be a microaggression in itself sometimes. Right. By saying, like, this is your lifestyle. Right. This is- that you chose. You chose this well, and You chose this <laughs> Yeah. yeah. It's like, no, like, Eating paleo is a lifestyle, right? Like, <laughs> this, is not a life. <laughs> this is not a lifestyle. Hey, it's a, li- it's a choice. <laughs> <laughs> because I feel like that was like, obviously, before progression, like that was a big thing, right? You say like, well, they just live that lifestyle or, or this is the lifestyle or whatever. And it's kind of like, uh, that's not really how we refer to it. Like, this is just me. Like, this mm-hmm, is mm-hmm. so um, understanding that. Um, we talked a little bit about what therapists can do differently. Um, and Justin, I just wanted if you have any other suggestions on what therapists that are inter- Well, first off, how do you know if a therapist is competent in working with the queer community? Um, I think one thing is important. I think it starts from when you are looking for a therapist. I think looking to see, do you see yourself around them? So do you see pictures on their website? Are you seeing affirming language on their website? Um, usually people who are very competent or people who have done work in the past will have something on their website about their work in the community or a section or, or um, the, even you'll see like LGBT friendly flag at the bottom of the, of the page. Um, so those little things, like I said, I think for um, the outside community, maybe they think it's like, oh, not like this little flag, that's not going to do much. But as someone in the community, you scroll, you scroll to the website, you don't see that rainbow flag at the bottom of the screen like, oh, you put that on there. Mm-hmm. Um, to put that on there. So I think in the community, looking for those, just those little signs that you can see, okay, this person is really affirming, they care about our community, they're really there for, for us. Mm-hmm. Um, that can show you. And then asking those questions. I think when you go to counseling, ask them about what, what kind of past work have they done with people who are like you. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, <laughs> you're paying your hard-earned money. Right. <laughs> I mean, it's just like when you when you do anything else of, of, of some type of, of investment, you want to know. Okay, have you invested money before? Have you? <laughs> right, right. You know, what have you done in the past to show that you are competent and that you have um, done work in this area? Um, so I think you know, asking those questions. You got the every right to ask questions. Absolutely, <laughs> definitely, definitely. Especially when you're spending money, you ask as many questions as you need to feel comfortable. Because the whole, the biggest, and most important part of therapy is that therapeutic relationship. Absolutely. So if you're going in feeling kind of uncomfortable or, or you know concerned about what's going to happen, you probably won't get the best experience. Have right. to get the most out of it. Yeah. I, I, okay. No, go ahead. I had a friend, um, a black woman who was seeking out therapy um, and her therapist was going to be a white woman whose name was Becky. And we know the last year, <laughs> Becky been on Front Street. <laughs> that is funny. <laughs> been on Front Street the last year. Right. You, know, you know, that ain't... 
Becky. Now Becky now. Right. You know, I think also to add, you know, because we 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 are aware of the financial investment, like you're investing financially. And and I think even I I don't want to say more than that because I recognize the financial investment, but you're investing your vulnerability in the process. You're investing opening up to this person um, and, and really investing the emotional currency of, okay, I am going to go there. Maybe this is the first time ever I'm going to go there. And that in and of itself is, is of such great value that whoever it is that you are willing to invest and go there with should really be able to, to do their best to meet you where you're at. Mm -hmm. Right. So I want to move into just giving just in the floor, as far as like talking about what you your practice, um, well, let's start there. Just tell us a little bit about your practice, um, the communities that you like to work with, your idea client, those type of things. Well, like I said, I'm at Amy White Counseling Center um, in Cypress, Texas. Um, and so when I first got into private practice, a lot of my mentors were saying, like, you know, you got to figure out what's your ideal client, you know, because you can't, you can't help everybody. <laughs> like, right, right. We get into it, think like, oh, I just want to help people. But you get in private practice, it's like, okay, what do I want to specialize in? What are my ideal clients? Um, and one of one of the mentors, one thing they asked me was like, okay, when you work with certain people or certain populations, when you leave that session, you know, who gives you energy when mm. you are done? Like, you just feel that spark and excitement and just mm -hmm. that energy go in. And I knew right away that it was it was my community that I was a part of. Um, and so I knew it was that was like my first ideal population. And then also, I think being a little bit unique in the, in the mental health field that's so um, women dominated, mm -hmm. I think that I get the opportunity a lot of times that um, heterosexual men, when they're in, 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 in couples, um, maybe it's, it's a wife and a husband, um, and the husband wants counseling individually. And so I will see a lot of men in that capacity as well um, in counseling. So that's, that tends to happen a lot. Um, but one thing I enjoy about my practice is that it's a group practice of about 11 people. And I love that, you know, I think I was important when I when I interviewed for the position, when I looked at going somewhere, you know, how affirming they were. Because, you know, if I don't feel welcome, then my brother and sister's not going to feel welcome either. Mm -hmm, <laughs> mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. so I love that I feel so welcome as, as a professional and feel comfortable recommending people from my community to go there because, you know, I mean, it may be a adolescent who's on the autism spectrum where that's not my specialty. But I know another counselor there, um, even though that person is um, on is, is a queer person, that she will take care of him, mm -hmm. um, knowing that that's a safe and affirming environment. Um, right. So I love that and being a part of that group. Awesome. So what makes you a dope therapist? Me? Yes. <laughs> yes. Done. <laughs> Everything about me. <laughs> Have you not been here for the last 40 minutes? Have you not heard what I do? <laughs> Google me. Google me. <laughs> but, uh, but, I mean, I'm joking, but kind of serious. I mean, I feel like as therapists, you know, you kind of get to that point where you bring yourself into that room, your experiences, your identity, your passion, combined with all those clinical skills and terms and education that you've got. So that kind of what makes me and everybody else that dope therapists, when you bring yourself, your true authentic self to that room, because we know 
uh, research shows about that relationship and being genuine and authentic with your clients. So that's why you're a dope therapist. Yes. <laughs> I, I would agree. <laughs> um, and the last question is just, um, what do you feel like you're doing differently to help the mental health community? I mean, to change the mental health game, to help minority communities. Um, how do you feel like you're trying to make changes and waves in those communities when it comes to mental health? And then I have one question after that. I think um, stepping outside of that therapy room, I think I'm just more of a natural. I like to collaborate. I love to connect with people. Um, so I think that is kind of stepping outside of that bubble and, con- and connecting with organizations who have maybe a bigger platform and maybe have more of a like a social change type of mission and focus that you can bring your expertise as a therapist to that organization to their focus because you know they may have different um, things that they may be doing social events or educational events, but you can bring that mental health aspect to those events, to that organization, and, and therefore the community as a whole. Because you know, we can only do so much work and see so many people in our office. Mm. So taking that step outside your office and get involved in the community, and just being even a, just an example, especially as a person of color, mm-hmm. normalizing, oh, you're a therapist? Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. That, that takes that step further of normalizing therapy, because obviously, right. You believe in counseling and therapy because you have committed your life and your career to this area. That's right. So obviously, okay, this might be something. Maybe this is okay for me to want to do this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then my last question. So you told us why you're a dope therapist. You told us all the dope things you're doing to change the therapy world. Um, why do you think therapy is dope? I think therapy is dope because, I mean, it's just a safe space where you get to really take that time to focus on yourself. And I think it's so important because, mm-hmm. especially in our culture, you know, I've been in El Salvador three times, and I think I'm worldwide now. <laughs> <laughs> You're international, baby. Watch out, people. Especially in our culture, we're so go, 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 go all the mm-hmm. time. And so just to even take that hour through in, 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 in the week to focus on you and reflect and think about the decisions you've made, think about where you're going in life, um, and taking that time and having that professional in front of you to help guide you through that reflection is so powerful. Mm-hmm. And I think we see in other communities, you know, they're really taking advantage of that because it's been normalized, though. So for mm-hmm. them, it's kind of like, okay, I go to lunch, I go play tennis, I go see my therapist. <laughs> part of the routine, I everybody about it, it's no big deal. And yeah. so, you know, I'm hoping through Melanie Mental Health, we get to that point in our community with, with people of color, especially the LGBT people of color, um, of getting connected to therapists that are affirming and then making it normalized to be in therapy. Um, and kind of going from there. Yes, I like that. Well, you I are dope. <laughs> you know, right, right. You, um, you talked about Amy Wan Counseling, but you didn't talk very much about Justin Smith training. Can you tell us about that? And so give us that, a, how they so can contact kind of you. Because, you know, I'm in my PhD program and I would see, I'm, I'm co-teaching with different professors and being involved with practicum students and seeing how, you know, in counseling programs, they give us like the foundation to kind of go out there. But there's so much more that needs to be learned and educated and trained to become a, an advanced skilled clinician to better serve the community. Um, and so I kind of saw that gap of, okay, people are kind of getting into the into the field and not having this education and those skills. And so I kind of took my passion of my ideal client, my population, 
and stepping out, like I said, stepping outside of the office, uh, what else can I do to help the community? Um, and so that's kind of where it was birthed of just some training to specialize in providing that type of education for mental health professionals. Um, and so my first training actually will be in the community is at Intracare North Hospital. I'm awesome. On um, so that would be me training. But then also, I think as, as clinicians, you know, start looking for those trainings that are around you. Mm -hmm. that you can go to, whether it's virtual, online, whether it's a webinar, whether it's um, textbooks. If you get on Amazon and look up LGBT counseling, you can find uh, workbooks, you can find textbooks that can help you become more competent and increase your knowledge about areas. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, it's all around us. Thank God for technology and Google. You can find a, a webinar. You can find a, a workshop that can help you to increase your knowledge. That way, you you know, when, you, that, when that client brings up that term, you're like, oh, I know what that is. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. Oh, you must have fun. Okay, what happened? <laughs> That's right. Right. Okay. All right. Well, we appreciate you being on the show, Justin. Thank Real you. Real quick. Justin, can you give them the websites and your social media handles of how yes. they can get in touch with you? Uh, all social media is Justin Smith Training on Instagram, Facebook. Twitter is Justin Training. I only like Twitter, but you know. Jordan, uh. <laughs> <laughs> everything. I'm on Facebook and Instagram. And my website is justinsmithtraining.com to learn more about my training. And then also my counseling is on there as well. Awesome. 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 Yay! Thank you so much. Thank you, Justin. Yes. If you want to know more about melanin and mental health, go to Facebook and Instagram at melanin and mental health. Go to melaninandmentalhealth.com, of course. And then on Twitter, because, you know, they hate. It's melanin health. We <laughs> hate on our titles, man. We got too many letters. We got too much to say. You need to accept all of me. That's the problem. Yes, yes. <laughs> I am a lot. <laughs> Make sure y'all join the um, the Facebook group, Between Sessions Podcast, where we post these as well as we're going to start having some conversations around this. And also, even before the sessions, we want to start knowing, you know, talking to you guys about what you think about the topics. Do you have any questions that you think we should be asking? So make sure you join Between Sessions Podcast. And it's a great place to connect with other mental health professionals. Um, if you are just someone who's not so sure about a therapist for you, come in there and chat up some therapists and just see what they're talking about and how they feel about these different topics. That's another way to figure out if they're culturally competent mm -hmm. or if they are somebody that you would be interested in seeing. Um, so, I know I know such and such is in Katy. I know such and such is in Southwest. Mm -hmm. You know, you can start to build that that um, the all star network of people that. You right. Right, right, right. And if you are a mental health professional, join Melanin and Mental Health Professionals on Facebook as well. That's where we kind of go. We share resources. We get so many people looking for therapists. And so if, if we can't find them on the directory, we go to the group to see if we can find them there. Mm -hmm. So check out that group. Um, I think that's it. Sign up for the directory if you're a mental health professional. Mm -hmm. Um, Lisa, tell them about the benefits of the directory. Yes, if you are a, if your membership with Melanin and Mental Health, um, in addition to being on our website, you get to be on here, right? Like, come on here. We want you to tell everybody what you're doing, just like Justin did, um, and just that you were our first guest. Yes. Oh snap! <laughs> you were our first guest, and all you got, you were our first guest, and all you got was that T-shirt. <laughs>
<laughs> first, first, first guest. Yeah. So membership includes, you know, getting, you know, you're going to have priority as far as um, being on the on on the podcast. We're going to let people know through our social media platforms where you're at. Um, what am I forgetting here, Ebony? Because um, um, right for the blog, being on the podcast, we're going to share you via our social media um, discount tickets to events that we have. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to think. We have so many things that we've been trying to work on as far as getting the perks. Uh, but really just being able to find, I mean, be found by people that are looking for you. Yes. Um, and we're talking about, you know, webinars, CEUs, all that kind of stuff just to make it a, a full membership. Yes. Like, you get a lot from being a part of Melanin and Mental Health. Um, and so join now is three months free. Yes. We are completely revamping the website. And so we're so excited about that. Cannot wait. Yeah. <laughs> it's gonna, we're gonna have the same feel, but it's gonna yeah. be so much more like user friendly and, and so much more, um, access to the resources, yeah. um, connecting you with the communities. Cause that's why we're here. We're here to, um, inform our communities about what therapy is about. Then we're going to connect them with you, you know, um, and this is for our, you know, all of you out there that are just contemplating therapy. Um, we just want to bridge that gap between our communities and the mental health field. Wow. We changed the face of therapy. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Again, Dallas coming up next month in Houston. We're having a live podcast, not of between sessions, though. No. What is it of, Ebony? Because you don't ever like to tell the people all of the amazing things you do. (laughs) You are amazing podcast. In the name of uh, Valentine's Day month. (laughs) Relationships, relationships, relationships. relationships. That's what we're going to be talking about on this podcast. And along with that, for our Houston event, we're going to do a live podcast of Room for Relations. Which is what? Relationship podcast. What do y'all discuss? Where we discuss everything from the first date to the last orgasm. So. <laughs> yes, God. Look out for that. Tell, tell me more. <laughs> That's it, guys. Uh, thanks for joining us. We'll talk to y'all next week. Mwah, 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 mwah. Bye.